Welcome to the Free to Be More podcast by the Enoch Pratt Free Library. I'm your host, Megan McCorkle. This podcast series features conversations with leaders and innovators having a positive impact in our city. Let's get started. Your journey starts here. Making Maryland a national model for manufacturing. That's been the mission for Dr. Mike Galeazzo, who's led the Regional Manufacturing Institute of Maryland for more than three decades. We'll talk to him about the changing face of manufacturing and his hopes for Maryland's future. Mike Galeazzo, thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome. First of all, I want to give you an opportunity for people that are not familiar with the Regional Manufacturing Institute of Maryland to talk a little bit about what that organization does here in the state. Sure, be happy to do. You know, simply put, we have been for over 30 years advocacy group for Maryland manufacturing and for jobs to help create a pathway to middle-class living. The whole purpose of the organization is to promote a, a vibrant manufacturing industry so that we can see people who want to pursue job opportunities that pay well with benefits. So uh, that that's our whole purpose. We view manufacturing, and RMI does, as an instrument of social change. Mm-hmm. And that is simply because we have a wide variety of opportunities for people to work in manufacturing, and the pay and the benefits are very, very good. Mm-hmm. I want to go way back when. You grew up, I think, believe in Baltimore County, sort of in the heart of where manufacturing was such an economic driver. How did that influence you, seeing all of that when you were growing up? I grew up in Dundalk, okay? Mm -hmm. Some people would say Dundalk, okay? That's (laughs) all right. I grew up seeing the benefit of an industrial economy to people who back then, it's not the same today, who without even a high school degree can find pathways to middle-class living. The neighborhood that I grew up in Dundalk it was probably considered lower middle class, but it was like the United Nations there. We had people from all kinds of backgrounds that were there. And it was because they were working at Bethlehem Steel. They were working at Mark Marietta. They were working at Lever Brothers. They were working at Western Electric. They were working at the Chevy plant. These folks were all around us. So I saw right then and there that you can have a stable community. And Dundalk back then was absolutely a great place to grow up and, and, and to be in because there was community pride. There was investment in the community. You know, eventually they got Dundalk Community College. Here we had a blue-collar district that had its own community college. It was amazing. So I know that as, I, as years went on, and I worked for Dundalk Community College and this opportunity to create RMI came about, I knew that I wanted to commit myself to keeping alive those doors of opportunity for people. How difficult was it over the years to see sort of the collapse of manufacturing when you saw closures like Bethlehem Steel and places like that? It was awful. You know, I worked, as I mentioned, I worked at Dundalk Community College. So I saw firsthand the devastation that was brought about by, quite frankly, outsourcing jobs. Mm-hmm. Uh, I ran some of the very first retraining programs for dislocated workers in the state of Maryland. We were very active in trying to to help people who overnight were losing their jobs. One of the very first programs was a program for women who had worked at Bethlehem Steel who were let go earlier. 
But I've experienced people sitting in front of me, just men crying because their job opportunities, which is their hope, which was their sense of being, was taken away. And um, that too helped shape a lot my interest in spending time saying, how can we change this? But I saw the way it was before. I saw the devastation. And I'm in the game right now to create that new manufacturing environment. And so are other people. Mm-hmm. But, but seriously, Megan, you know, it was just awful uh, watching mm-hmm. so many people get dislocated. Mm-hmm. And if I may editorialize, I'm going to say this. Okay. Mm-hmm. What we did, we had Ivy League universities, economists writing papers about how we can't compete on price, okay? We can't compete on price with manufacturing, and now we have to outsource. The cost, you know, the cost was too great. But what they failed to do was to calculate the cost in terms of suffering for American middle class. They were only calculating it based on companies. So, you know, when we just said, yeah, it is too expensive for companies to compete. But where we lost out is we outsource jobs and we outsource the hope and opportunity of millions of Americans. And we're still paying that price today. Yeah, I I was a reporter years ago. And so the very, very last few people that worked at Bethlehem Steel, um, I was there when they all lost their jobs and they got that got announced. And it is, it's just, it was yeah. devastating. Devastating to see because it was not even just you know, one person in the family, it was generations of families that worked uh, that worked there and earned a living there. And it's just so destabilizing for the whole community. Seeing it in the early days, how did that start the early seeds of what RMI started as at Dundalk Community College? Wonderful question. The history of RMI, it was founded at Dundalk Community College. Dennis Rasmussen was the county executive back then. And he asked of the college president, uh, Dr. Martha Smith, uh, what could the college do to serve manufacturing in eastern Baltimore County? And he said, and don't tell me training because you're doing that. But what else could you do? He said, I need you to give me a proposal. And so Dr. Smith came back to the college and tapped me on the shoulder and said, we got to put together something. And I had never, you know, I never worked in manufacturing, didn't know much about it. So it was actually Dennis Rasmussen who had the vision to see something created through the community college that would go beyond just doing training. And so, and it was always meant to be an organization separate from the college. So the, uh, that, um, eventually Dennis funded RMI. Uh, and then, uh, we had the first. The first board of the Regional Manufacturing Institute, they were actually appointed by the county executive. And we did have Cliff Ishmael, who was, a, you may remember Cliff, he was a human relations um, uh, person at, at Bethlehem Steel. He was our first chairman. Uh-huh. We started, with, and I love it because you, you may not know, my doctorate is in community college leadership. Uh-huh. And, and, you know, so here I, I grew up in a community in which I worked for a college that said, hey, create something that's going to change the social dynamics. It was a great opportunity for me. Uh-huh. You've been at the helm there for over 30 years. How much have you seen the organization grow and the services that you guys are providing change as the landscape of manufacturing has changed? 
I'll give you some numbers, okay? This is my way of explaining. People used to say, how many members do you have? And I said, that's not how we measure ourselves. Uh-huh. But who's in our network? Who joins us when we're celebrating what we're trying to do? Last November, we had an event at Martin's West. It was called Champions of Maryland Manufacturing. And part of it was, you know, they were celebrating me. But we had many, many other manufacturers that we were celebrating. I had almost 800 people in the room for that. Now, think about this, Megan. We, as an industry, we're like, you know, 4% of all businesses in Maryland, 4%. And I get 800 people in a room. Mm -hmm. I've got an event coming up at the end of this month. And when I say I, it's those that work with, it's called Women Making a Difference for Maryland Mm -hmm. Refactoring. All right. Right now, we have almost 600 people registered for that event. Wow. So, So I think those and other events that we did, Prove And by the way, the event that we did in November, I had at least 15 or 20 elected officials there, including the Speaker of the House. You know, it's such a good feeling when we get people in the room and we talk about hopefulness around the future of manufacturing. You just ask anyone that's been to one of those events and they'll tell you that. So that's been it. Along with that, we've been successful with legislation. I mean, we've been there. We've been the voice where nobody wanted to be the voice, quite Mm -hmm. frankly. But now we have influence because who's talking about manufacturing today? The guy I just saw on TV, President Biden. President Mm -hmm. Biden talks about manufacturing because he understands it. You know, he understands it in the way that I just talked about. He understands that manufacturing, you can't have a society without a wealth producing industry. But Joe Biden understands people. He would understand people at Dundalk, you know, hardworking blue collar people. Um, manufacturing will never be what it was. It won't be that same thing, but it can be something much different and still serve middle class America. Mm-hmm. When you talk about what it was, I think people, when you say the word manufacturing, sometimes people have a really antiquated view of what that word actually means. You know, they think of like, old school things coming down a conveyor belt, but that's not the reality of manufacturing today. What does manufacturing look like today? Manufacturing is technology. Okay. You know, I hear people talk about we're going to be a tech hub and technology this and innovation that. And sometimes I chuckle to myself because everything there's talking about is what manufacturing is today. Our problem is exactly why you said it. People were thinking about the way manufacturing was. And that has been a problem for 30 years. You know, when we lost manufacturing, people said, well, manufacturing is dead. Okay. But, you know, because of technology, quite bluntly, manufacturing is not dead. We can compete with China now through technology. But I will say about manufacturing because people, again, I once said manufacturing is like gummy bears. Okay. They all kind of have the same name. Okay, they all look alike until you bite into a gummy bear. They all are different. And so it's hard sometimes to talk about manufacturing because not only am I talking about bakeries or print shops, I'm also talking about the folks that are making vaccines in a health life sciences area or medical instruments or people that are making electronics. It is extraordinarily diverse industry, but in all cases, they have adopted new technology. I don't care who I'm talking to, they have to adopt new technology. But what's really happened, it's not smokestack anymore. My gosh, we moved away from that a long time ago. But it's kind of hidden from people's minds. That's been really, really frustrating. I'll just be really blunt. We have never, in all the years that I've been doing this, we have never had a governor 
who's really clarified and been outspoken the way that I'm talking right now about it, this industry in Maryland called Maryland manufacturing. And I always believe the most important thing that could happen would be for uh, top policymakers and the governor, I'm not picking on anybody, say, there's something really vitally important here to Maryland's economy and for the people of Maryland, and we're going to make it happen. Need a Chromebook? Get connected at the Pratt. The Pratt, in partnership with BCIT and the Maryland Office of Statewide Broadband, is distributing free Chromebooks to eligible households. Check out the eligibility requirements at prattlibrary.org forward slash get device and make your appointment today. You're free to be more at the Pratt. You know, as technology, I mean, it just keeps rapidly evolving. What do you really believe are the steps that are crucial for preparing Maryland's businesses and workforce for the future? Yeah, and that's where I am today. That's the work that I do today. We've had some real success with the legislature. The answer is real simple. Technology and talent in an era of enormous transformation. Mm-hmm. It's really challenging right now because the rate of new knowledge is so fast and the new knowledge is so complex that it's really tough for anybody running a business or anyone who's serving as a public servant to really grasp the magnitude of this impact. It really is. And so I'm hopeful that as we learn how to embrace artificial intelligence, we'll be able to make better decisions quicker and keep up with the pace of opportunity. It's the opportunity that comes from technology that's going to help us with manufacturing. And like I said before, well, it's proven that as we have more advanced technologies in manufacturing, they become more globally competitive. You know, China is still, make no mistake about it, they're highly sophisticated, but they're still dependent on workers to do much what they're doing. The technology that we have allows us to compete on price, and that, mm-hmm. that's a great thing. So here we have the people running companies. We have public policymakers that were saying we need this. And so RMI is an organization with lots of other people. We're just successful in creating a legislative work group that spent a year and a half looking at the digital transformation that's occurring. And they made some recommendations around advanced technologies. And we today we have an actual matching grant fund that allows manufacturers to go to the state of Maryland and say, I need this technology. And the state can pay up to 50 or even 75% for small minority companies to help them adopt that technology. That's a big deal. However, it's a big deal. However, it's so far behind what other states have done. So I will tell you this. I've been meeting with Bill Ferguson. I've been meeting with Adrian Jones. And I, particularly with Bill, helping them to understand, having fun a little bit too. We we took them over and showed them 3D scanning, 3D printing Mm -hmm. to help them understand. And and they get it. I think they understand when it comes to manufacturing, it's an industry in motion that's clearly about technology. But nobody out there is going to be able to understand the complexity of the technologies that are out there. Big challenge, like a small company, they don't have a lot going for them to help sort out what is AI, what is cybersecurity. You know, they're dealing with workforce shortages. We need to think differently about how we come to the rescue of an industry that's indispensable to our economic welfare as a state. 
Mm-hmm. And one of the big things that would make Maryland workers in manufacturing more successful is being able to get the training that they need for these higher technology jobs. How difficult is that? And how is RMI trying to like sort of take people out of silos and connect them to that training so that there isn't this workforce shortage? Megan, you can't see me right now, but I'm laughing. Not because <laughs> it's funny, but because you're right. Because I can get in trouble answering that question, okay? <laughs> I can get in trouble. Uh, I think there's an enormous mismatch between our efforts to train people and understanding of what we need training in. I sometimes say the workforce system doesn't work. I'm not pointing at any one person. I'm just saying across the board. Uh, when I look at the future through the eyes of technology, I see the demise of systems that we've been depending on that aren't really producing what we need. We need to get rid of some of these systems that are not really systems of success. We need to start being honest about it. Mm-hmm. So, but yes, I believe that, um, and I got a plan to create a, a center for the future of Maryland manufacturing. And what's at the heart of that is using artificial intelligence because artificial intelligence will get to a solution quicker. And so using technology, we can be able to get the unmet needs of companies met. And that includes, that includes workforce training. But I think it's got to occur more at the individual company level and it's got to be much quicker. But Mm -hmm. the kinds of systems we work, you know, we work where they're antiquated and all people working anywhere, but particularly manufacturing, they need to understand it's about lifelong learning. They will not stay on that job if their company doesn't have them engaged in some kind of lifelong learning program. Because again, the technology and the changes will continue and continue. So I see learning occurring at the work site and maybe documenting a history of learning experiences. That becomes the new credentialing system for workers. Mm-hmm. So it's not like you know you go to school, you get a degree, and it's over with. No, it's lifelong learning. And you're right, there is a tendency for people to think, you know, you don't have to have a degree, you don't have to have education, work in manufacturing. I argue against that. I think we should be saying learning is an essential part of work and that we should understand. And I don't care who delivers the learning, but we need to always, always promote continuous education. Yeah. And in a lot of ways, if we're not promoting that, we talked about technology changing. If we don't have those trained workers, if they aren't getting that level of training, do Maryland manufacturers fall behind places like China that are following the latest technologies? If you were able to talk to, say, a hundred manufacturing companies out there, mm-hmm. all right, I think what you're going to find is they are training their people. Mm-hmm. But they're not going to the training systems that we typically think of when we talk about workforce training. Mm-hmm. They are hiring consultants to come in to train their first, or they're hiring groups like the Maryland Manufacturing Extension Partnership to come mm-hmm. in and do work with their employees on whatever it could be. And that's because it's more customized to a company. You know, so I have always been asked by educational institutions. What are the skill sets required to work in manufacturing? And I got to tell you, at this point in time, that question in and of itself tells me their system for responding to that need isn't going to work. Mm-hmm. There isn't any one set of skills. You know, they've changed their behavioral skills. You know, you want to, you want to work, you want to value the organization that you're working for. You want to embrace lifelong learning. It's just different. 
And I think the idea of curriculum is, is a little outdated too, but uh, that's me just, uh, <laughs> just warning people, you know, don't get stuck in the Henry Ford model of higher education. Mm-hmm. It's insane. How many times, Megan, have you talked to somebody and said, how'd you learn that? And they're going to say, YouTube. YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> YouTube. All the time. That's it. You know, somebody the other day said, Mike, let's get all, let's put all our videos on YouTube and we can educate. And by the way, Megan, that's exactly what I'm going to do. I I can't get the kids. You know why? I got to go through schools. All right. Mm -hmm. But guess what? Thank goodness for Maryland's commitment to broadband. Broadband, (laughs) I can get the kids in the inner city, you know, and that's to me is what's exciting. The system's changing and those who figure out how to embrace the new technologies, I think will help society become a better place. Mm-hmm. We talked a little bit about the city and you touched on this. Baltimore has recently been named a tech hub by the federal government, specifically focused on that crossover between AI and biotech. And we've gotten through phase one. Now they're competing for phase two. What kind of a difference would an influx of money like that mean for the manufacturing industry here in Baltimore and Maryland? It depends on who gets the money. You know, one of the things that I've seen over the years, it's things that get in the way of good success and getting mm-hmm. results. And boy, people chase money and then that becomes the solution to a problem that doesn't exist. It, mm-hmm. it just, it's really, really nuts. I, I do like the fact that Governor Moore says, show me the data. Well, there's a lot of data out there that we can look at that would say, this is where we put our money. So if you're asking me a question about Baltimore City, I have to be careful, but here you go. Baltimore City has the second highest number of manufacturing companies of any political jurisdiction in the state. The mm-hmm. second highest. Mm-hmm. Second highest. So where's the grand plan to uplift these companies? Mm-hmm. And to get people to go work in them. According to the Maryland Department of Environment, all right, in February, there were 12,000, 12,000 job openings in Maryland manufacturing. 12,000 job openings. Mm-hmm. And so many of those are going to be in Baltimore City. They're going to be in Baltimore County. And so it's like, well, look, we're, what are we doing to invest in who's already here, who has job openings? And who is producing wealth? Remember, manufacturing is a wealth producing industry. So when money comes into the state and it goes to people who have not looked at the data, like I'm talking to you about right now, and they say, Oh, well, I think we should be a maker state. It's like that doesn't help our industry. Mm-hmm. It doesn't help our industry for money to be poured into the thoughts that, that generate a new direction that doesn't match up. Okay, doesn't match up with the reality of what I deal with. And the reality I deal with is there's a lot of manufacturers in Baltimore City that somebody should be talking to and asking them, what two or three things do you think we can do that you may be able to grow your business, which means more tax base, provide better opportunities to grow the number of jobs? Two things, right? And the answer, part of the answer is, is technology. But I I don't necessarily see that kind of focus on manufacturing. I I just don't. Introducing the Pratt's Community Fridges. Free, fresh food at select Pratt locations, including Pennsylvania Avenue, Orlean Street, and Brooklyn branches. Take what you need, leave what you can. Learn more at prattlibrary.org. 
the coalition pushing for the tech hub, do you feel like manufacturing needs to have a seat at that table? Short answers, yes. I give long <laughs> answers, okay? But here's the thing. My idea for Center for the Future of Maryland Manufacturing is exactly what they did. They only did it with one slice of manufacturing. You yeah. know, they want to they do medical instruments, right? <laughs> I want to do the whole state. You know, it's, come on. Technology would allow us to do that. So, yeah, I'd be very open. And by the way, I know the new leadership of GBC, he understands manufacturing. I met with him. He's worked with manufacturers. Mm -hmm. He understands the importance of manufacturing. But guess what? He's just a director of GBC. He's not all those people sitting in the room talking about what's important for the future of Maryland mm -hmm. or for Baltimore City. So, yeah, I mean, I think I got a strong case. I think you're, you're listening to what I'm talking about. I'm the guy that created the legislative workload, you know, digital transformation. I mean, we're there. We've just been there in manufacturing. But what I won't do, and I'll be really honest, I will not waste my time sitting in rooms with people sharing comments and statements and notions that don't match up with the reality that I experienced mm -hmm. after all these years, because that's mm -hmm. just a waste of time. I want to give you an opportunity um, to talk about this partnership that you have with Maryland Public Television for some shows coming up. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. Maryland Public Television, uh, several years ago, approached me and we started talking about a series on Maryland manufacturing. And they did, in fact, produce a series about three years ago, right before COVID. And it was called Made in Maryland. And it was excellent. It got actually, it was really one of the higher rated shows on the TV stations in Baltimore, according to Maryland Public Television. Mm -hmm. And what they did is they went out and they, you know, you know, they're great. You know, they do great programming. And it was a half an hour show. Currently, I'm working with them to produce a three half hour programs on Made in Maryland that I believe are going to be coming out sometime in the spring. And I've you know, just been working with them and, and you know, helping them understand who's out there. And they've been selecting manufacturers to go out and to interview. So this is like critically important because, you know, the issue we were talking about earlier, people don't have an understanding of what manufacturing is today. Mm -hmm. And I know that this series is going to touch on this. And I know they're going to be touching on issues in Baltimore. They're not just going to be talking to manufacturers. They're going to be talking to people that are doing training programs. I know that they've got some focus on a Baltimore city. So I, I feel like this is really going to be something very, very beneficial. Do you feel like this sort of turned the tide a little bit for manufacturing in Maryland in that antiquated view to have maybe a young person be watching this program and say, hey, that's not what I thought this would look like. And maybe that is a future for me. Well, actually, they have something called ThinkPort, and that's great. I don't know how many young people watch Maryland Public Television. <laughs> there are some shows that they do watch, right? You know, mm -hmm. like the Tiger, I don't watch them. I'm older. Okay. Okay. <laughs> But they do have an educational component called a ThinkPort. And so what they'll do is they'll take what we're doing with this manufacturing thing and they'll put it on that ThinkPort. And that's and they work with the Maryland State Department of Education to bring content to kids. So that's our hope is that, you know, through a system that they already have set up, that we'll take the Made in Maryland series, put it on this website, and then have the folks that run ThinkPort work with the Department of Ed and say, hey, you know, here's something you should do. You should check out this video on Made in Maryland. So, yeah, I'm excited about that. You'll see what Maryland manufacturing is about through that program. Not everybody. 
that <laughs> they only do so much. And, and quite frankly, you know, you have to go out and raise money to do the programming. Mm-hmm. You know, CFG Bank, just sidebar, CFG Bank has been a big contributor to that mm-hmm. program. So, Mike, what is your long-term vision for Maryland in manufacturing? Do you feel like Maryland could become a national model for manufacturing across the country? Well, it could be if I could hire you to be a marketing of our manufacturing (laughs) industry. (laughs) And by the way, I want to say something a lot of people don't know, because we're talking about manufacturing. But I also know that libraries don't get their fair share of understanding by the public at large. Uh, Mm -hmm. Libraries have done a great job of introducing kids to digital technologies. Okay, Mm -hmm. You're no stranger to that. But I think maybe in some cases, people still have an outdated notion of libraries, but not just Enoch Pratt, but uh, Baltimore County. I know they're an essential part of our society. They're mm-hmm. such a part of our citizenry. You know, you touch people, you educate them. You know, when I was reading about, you know, your value proposition, mm-hmm. hey, it's not too much different than what I'm saying. You yeah. just put it in a different way. You mm-hmm. just put it in a different way. Now, back to your question, Maryland should be a national showcase for next generation American manufacturing. We have the technology and we have the talent to make that happen. What we need to do is embrace a value proposition that we want to make goods that are good for the world. So you give a sense of why would we do this? I mean, if it's a sports team, we want a sports team that's going to win, right? Mm -hmm. Well, we want manufacturing to win, but we need to elevate it and say, why would you work in manufacturing? And it's like, because we do good things. We make goods that are good for the world. You know, we help produce products that make the devices that help with our efforts to clean up the environment. There's no question about it. So we need to elevate the value of manufacturing in the minds, particularly of young people. Okay. Mm-hmm. But I think we could be a national showcase. I did a video on that, and a lot of other people did, by saying, because we haven't invested in manufacturing in a while, there is a better opportunity to transform it, you know, to jump ahead and say, well, well, how do you do that? It's like, how do we do anything? We believe in it. Mm-hmm. Just to wrap up, I know um, you talked a little bit about the Biden administration, the federal government, and these investments in infrastructure, does that give you hope for the future of manufacturing? No question about it. You have to have good roads. We definitely have to improve the rail system. And if infrastructure means broadband, you bet. You bet. Because what's going to happen? There's so much that folks don't know. All right. Mm -hmm. You know, there's something called the industrial metaverse. Right? Well, you, you know what the metaverse is, right? It's mm-hmm. the, the sky, right? Industrial. And guess who really is in this space? The Chinese. Mm-hmm. I mean, they are really in this space. Now, it's hard to explain to people that we can use the digital version of an industry to improve that industry. Mm-hmm. We don't even have anybody talk about it. A few people talk. So those are things that we need to be implementing to be ahead of the curve, so to speak. I think... We have no real feel for the impact of artificial intelligence yeah. and how quick it's going to come. I'm very, you heard me talk, artificial Mm -hmm. intelligence, it's already proven how it solves problems in life sciences. Just think if we had artificial intelligence that would help, and that's what I, help us solve issues impacting the future of Maryland manufacturing or impacting the future of our economy, our economy. 
I mean, that to me is really hopeful. I know everybody was, I got to tell you, everybody says, well, man, artificial intelligence, you got to be careful because, you know, it's so inaccurate, right? Uh-huh. And I keep saying, well, how many times have I dealt with somebody who's paid to represent a program or a funding source in government and how inaccurate their information is? I mean, that's <laughs> the fact of life, you know, they, yeah. you know, it's awful. Yeah. I probably experienced some of that. I think everybody has, right? Well, this has been a great conversation. Mike, thank you so much for your time. Okay, thank you. Make the grade with the Pratt. Earn your high school diploma online. Scholarships are now available to the Pratt's online adult high school. This self-paced, flexible format program is designed for adults 18 or older to earn their accredited high school diploma. Learn more at prattlibrary.org. I'm Megan McCorkle, and you've been listening to the Free to Be More podcast by the Enoch Pratt Free Library. You can follow the Pratt on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next month for another Free to Be More conversation. Thanks for listening.